May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today. On the first Sunday of Lent, you'll see we have different colors. Um, I have a different cross that I wear during the Lenten season. No hallelujahs. We had one mishap at the 8 o'clock. I'm hoping it's not repeated at the 10.15. So let's practice. Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Yeah, you do that now. We'll see how it goes when it's the real thing. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Very good. Excellent. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about this gospel reading, Jesus in the wilderness. Big idea today is when confronted by the word of God, Satan doesn't stand a chance. When confronted by the word of God, whether it's Jesus or you or me, Satan doesn't stand a chance. The only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6 is the word of God. Jesus uh, has been baptized. The heavens open, the dove descends, and you hear the voice of the Father say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then we're told the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads him out into the wilderness where he will be tempted by Satan. This is a time of preparation for him. This this 40-day period will be a time of, of preparation. Remember in the Navy, we had a thing called POM, pre-overseas movement. And it was a period of a couple of months before you would deploy for six, seven, or eight months. And you did everything that you would go out with the ships you're going to deploy with, the aircraft, go through exercises, things like that, to get ready for what it was you were going to be doing. You don't show up to the Winter Olympics with a pair of skis over your shoulder and say, I'm here to compete without having done anything. You work your whole life to be an Olympic athlete. Normally there is a spring training season for Major League Baseball, but unfortunately we're not having that right now because they like how it looks like. I I wasn't sure, and I I asked Siri yesterday if the uh, spring training had started, and he, he gave me 16 ball games that sounded like this. The game between the Red Sox and the Yankees, unfortunately, has been canceled. The game between the Orioles, whatever, have fortunately has been canceled 16 games in a row because whatever. But normally it's spring training to see who's who, who are the new people, what, how are we going to do this. Our middle son Donald had Guillain-Barre syndrome in the mid-90s, and that was a real test. He wound up at Shands Hospital, and Kathy wound up living at Ronald McDonald House. But that, in a way, prepared us for son Liam several years later when he had an auto accident and was in a coma for eight days and had a traumatic brain injury and came to live with us for nine years. Because of what went through with Donald, in, in some way I was prepared, more prepared than I would have been if that hadn't happened. And then we have 40 days of Lent as we prepare 
for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the question is, what am I doing during this time that's different, that I don't normally do? What is it that I'm putting into place that is drawing me closer to the God that I love and the God that I serve? Is it my prayer life? Is it my scripture reading? Is it, what, what, what is it? Quiet time? Am I doing something intentionally and purposely that is bringing me closer to God? That's, that's the question for us on this day. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Moses was on Sinai for 40 days. Israel was in the desert for 40 years. It was 40 days and 40 nights of rain for Noah. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Goliath taunted the uh, Jews for 40 days. I could go on and on about the number 40. It means a very long time, and Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. And William Barclay describes it like this. He says, first of all, let us think of the scene, namely the wilderness. The inhabited part of Judea stood on the central plateau, which was the backbone of southern Palestine. Between it and the Dead Sea stretched a terrible wilderness, 35 by 15 miles. It was called Jeshimon, which means the devastation. The hills were like dust heaps. The limestone looked blistered and peeling. The rocks were bare and jagged. The ground sounded hollow to the horse's hooves. It glowed with heat like a vast furnace and ran out to the precipices 1,200 feet high, which swooped down to the Dead Sea. It was in that awesome devastation that Jesus was tempted. So this is where, at this point, he has been for 40 days, and he's tempted by Satan. Theologians have uh, debated for years, is Satan real? Is the devil real? Scripture is very clear. The devil is real. Satan is a real thing. There is such a thing as spiritual warfare. I always call it the good guys and the bad guys. Satan is a liar. He is an accuser. He is our adversary. The Greek verb diabolane means to split. This is what you this is how it's translated in the New Testament. He's a splitter. And you've heard me say a thousand times when Satan is at work, you see division isolation and separation, division, isolation, separation. When you see that, you know that the enemy is at work. And today in this text, he's trying to split Jesus from his Father in heaven by getting him to do things that aren't godly, three things. And Jesus just speaks the word, and he has to stop because when he's confronted by the word of God, he doesn't stand a chance. Separation, division, splitting. I think I see it more today than I ever have in my life. I see it internationally. I see it nationally. I see it in the church. I see it in families. I see it in the workplace. The enemy is having a field day these days. He's working overtime to divide people, divide families, one from another, friends, one from another. He's working overtime right now. We have to be aware of it. So Jesus is now at the end of the 40 days in the desert, and it says in the text he hasn't had anything to eat. Fully human, fully divine. You think he's hungry? I think he's hungry. 
Another truth is that Satan strikes when we're at a low point, a low point. When we're discouraged, when we're defeated, when we're disappointed, when we're doubting, that's when we're most vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Not when we're flying high and things are going great, but when things aren't going quite the way we hoped they would, we start to ask questions. So the first temptation is not trusting God and abusing our power. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And that's all Jesus had to say on that one. Now, I will tell you, I will never be tempted to turn stones into bread because I can't turn stones into bread, and neither can you. Jesus could, but we can't. We will be tempted to do other things that we can do. He starts out that line with saying, if you are the Son of God. That's interesting to me. Is that a question? Is there some doubt about the fact that you are or not the Son of God? I mean, he might be saying, if you really are the Son of God, how could God let this happen to you? How could you get into this mess and this fix if he really loves you like you think he does? Hmm? How could God let me get into this really lousy marriage? How do they do that? How, how could these things be happening to our kids? How do they turn out this way? How can so-and-so how can be sick? How can I get this disease? I don't understand. How could my work be so awful? My finances aren't what they thought they would be. Oh, no. Is God real? Because if he was real, I'm thinking things would be a lot different in my life. Remember, God's nature and character do not depend upon my circumstances. We make that mistake all too And when people come to faith in Jesus Christ and somebody who led them to faith says, from now on, your life is going to be a bowl of cherries. Ship that guy off there. How'd you like to be a Ukrainian refugee these days who is a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ? And you look at those pictures and it looks like a World War II bombing of a city. They're out of food, they're out of water, they're out of medicine. They're trying to flee for their lives. Is God real? How could this be happening? This is what the enemy is trying to implant into Jesus. And he wants Jesus to use this power in a way that he knows the Father does not want him to use this power. Go ahead and do it. No big deal. Turn it into bread. People betray power for selfish reasons all the time. Powerful people do it, but you don't have to necessarily be a powerful person. Parents can do it to children. Children can do it to their parents. Spouses can do it to one another, the abuse of power. A boss can do it to the employees. This is why we have sexual harassment laws. Oh, hi, sweetie. You want to get ahead in this company? Come see me. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, don't tell anybody. Happens all the time. It's an abuse of power. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should 
do something. Just because you have the power to do something doesn't mean you should do something. Is this the right thing to do? Is this the best course of action? Knowing what we know now, I think of COVID. When it started, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't understand how all this was working. We shut down for a month, April of 2020. The whole month of April of the whole Easter, we had 33 people for the whole month. It was Matthew and me and Carolyn and Karen and Tom. I mean, pretty much that was it. And then we opened back up. You can social distance. You can wear a mask. And then at 530, you had to wear a mask. And then as we started to progress, we had hoped that things would sort of open up. And then I looked at different states using their power, apart from science, for example, to keep children out of school or to make children wear masks or to put parents on a no-fly list because their two-year-old wouldn't wear a mask on a flight. And I thought, where's the science in this? Just tell me the science about this stuff. You know? We want to thank you for your 19 years of faithful service in the Marine Corps, John. We want to thank you for your three tours in Iraq and five tours in Afghanistan, but you're getting kicked out of the Marine Corps now because you won't take a shot, and even though you've had it and you have natural immunity, we don't really care. Power. That was an abuse of power in my mind. Needless. Needless. People need to be thinking about what's the right thing to do. And I know there's different opinions about all this kind of stuff. But see, this is kind of that ties in to this first temptation, an abuse of power. You know, and people get a little power hungry. Putin, right now, Putin. Who do you think he got permission from to invade Ukraine? Nobody. He did it because he can do it. It wasn't the parliament that voted. He just decided he was going to do it. That's an abuse of power. We have to be careful not to abuse the power that we have certainly not, not on the scale of invading another country, but we have power to affect the lives of the people in our lives, and we have to be careful about that. The second temptation is compromise. He said, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's the end of that. All he has to do is give out that one line, and he's done. He can't take it. Because when he's confronted by the word of God, he can't do it. Taking shortcuts and not compromising. A New York family bought a ranch out west where they intended to raise cattle. Friends visited and asked if the ranch had a name. Well, said the would-be cattleman, I wanted to name it the Bar J, my wife favorites Susie Q. One son liked the Flying W and the other wanted the Lazy Y. So we're calling it the Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lazy Y. But where are all your cattle, the friend asked. None survived the branding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I 
Jesus came to save the world by his sacrifice, not by bending the knee to Satan. Satan is offering him an easy way out, a shortcut, a compromise. You know the phrase, a pinch of incense? Just a little pinch of incense. That came from the Roman Empire when the church was first starting in, in, in Greece and other places like that. In order to go into, in order to, to participate in the economy, you would go inside a walled area, and there were walls here in a doorway, and at each, on one side of the wall would be one of the gods or goddesses of that town. They all had one. And there would be something like this, like it, it looks like the holy water thing back there. And in order to get in, you would just come in and you would put a pinch of incense to the god or goddess of the community. That was your entrance. That was your ticket in, a little pinch of incense. And a lot of Christians said, not doing that. I can't do that. No, it's not who I am anymore. And there were people who said, it doesn't matter. Come on, I don't really believe that. I could give a rip about that god or goddess. Just a pinch of incense, who cares? I got to get in and sell my stuff. I got to buy stuff. I got to live. I got to participate. Doesn't matter. One thing leads to another, and to another, and to another, and to another. And one day you look in the mirror and you say, I don't recognize myself anymore. How did I get like this? Because it started with a pinch of incense. Oh, it won't matter. Damage control. Inspections on a ship. Damage control is like putting out the fire and, and stopping the flood. You need equipment for this, very specialized equipment. Sometimes you don't have everything you need or your stuff that you have doesn't work right. So what do you do right before the big inspection? You borrow it from somebody else. And they come up, somebody said, yeah, because you know. And then they do the inspection, and everybody gets a grade, A+. plus. Yay, you guys are super. And then the inspectors leave, and the stuff goes back to the other ships. Hmm, how prepared am I now? Well, at least I got a good grade on the exam. I can't fight a fire really well, and I can't get rid of the flood, but I, get, man, I got an A on that exam. <sighs> Rather than doing what it takes to get the equipment you need, maybe you don't do so well on the exam, but that lights a fire under somebody else to say, we need to get you what you I don't think I'd like to be operated on by a guy that cheated his way through medical school. <laughs> you know, Or go to a dentist who did the same thing. Right? I got here. Here's my degree. Politicians do it all the time. Quid pro quo. Something for something. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. Just a little thing. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. Well, People find out, and it's sad. It's sad that we compromise ourselves that way. We violate our core values in order to achieve something in the near term. That's what the Satan is trying to get Jesus to do. The third temptation is tempting God. When he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will give his angels charge uh, of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you should strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan quotes Psalm 91. We just read that. 
today. Psalm 91. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6. Do not tempt God. It's like a diabetic who says he doesn't need insulin. God's going to take care of me. Not a problem. Like this building. December of 2016, Investor unanimously said that now was the time to break ground. We didn't have everything we needed, but we felt that peace, clarity, and unity about the decision that needed to be made. Right? And we're here. Now, the school wants to build a building over there. And on the outside of the fence, on this side, there's like three portables, I think. And this is where they want to put a classroom building. On the other side of the fence where portables are, they want to take those down and put up a gym and administrative area. So I asked Don Raymond this morning, what do you think that's going to cost? He said about $7 million. I said, let's break ground. God's got that money, no problem. Break ground and get them in here and see what happens. Mm. You need to, as, you have, as I've said many times, we step out trusting God. We don't leap off the temple Tempting God. That would be tempting God. They are working very, very hard to put together what is needed to make that happen. We have a, we have a mortgage here. John, is that going to go below a million dollars anytime soon? He's shaking his head. This is what I get from him. I get, I get no numbers. I just get, you're in the ballpark. You're moving in the right. This is Kill the Mortgage Sunday, by the way. Trust God. You don't tempt God. Satan suggested it was impossible to put too much trust in God, and Jesus points out that tempting God is not trusting him. Satan says, it doesn't matter what you do. He's there for you, and he's going to love you, and he's going to get you through it. He'll save you. Don't worry. And Jesus points out that tempting God is not trusting him. Jesus exercises biblical criticism putting one scripture over another. Interesting. Putting one scripture over another in this particular case. Bill Fry, the bishop of Colorado, in, in, when I was in seminary, he was the, the dean. He and I got there the same year. He had a great phrase, a text out of context is a pretext. A text out of context is a pretext. So when you're trying to make something happen scripturally that's unscriptural, you can use scripture to do that, but it's a misuse of scripture. And Jesus said, that doesn't work in this case. Deuteronomy 6 trumps Psalm 91, when you want me to fly off a temple. So I'm not going to do that. We've had misuse of scripture for personal gain, whether it was trying to justify slavery or subjugation of women or war or whatever it might be, the misuse of Scripture that winds up tempting God. You know? I know what's wrong to drink and drive, but God will look out for me. I know smoking is bad, but he's got my back. Really? We make decisions, and decisions have consequences. Sometimes we make decisions that aren't really good for us. And if we think that God is going to 
save us in those particular cases where we continue down that path regardless of reality. We're going to be disappointed at the end. Then he says, he, comes, he left, but he was going to come back at an opportune time. Satan never quits. He never quits. He waits. He waits. And I'll tell you something. He doesn't waste his time on people who don't get it. He doesn't waste his time on people who don't belong to God. He, w- he wants us. He wants you. He wants me. He wants to grab us and get us out of God's camp and into his camp. We have to be diligent. I don't mean to be walking around all the time scared out of your wits. I just mean be aware. Be aware. When those things start to pop up, like think of splitter, separator, it's spiritual warfare. Step back. Pray about it. Is there a reasonable reason? Is there a reason for this kind of thing happening? Or is this something that is a misunderstanding? Whatever it might be. Work through it. So stand strong in the moment of temptation when you're right there deciding what to do. What do I do? Deciding what to say. Should I let these words out of my mouth? Think. Am I thinking the right thing? What to look at? Where am I going on the Internet? Do I go with this person? Do I make that phone call? Do I make that purchase? We just had recently the grandson of one of our members, and he was out with a friend and another person, and the driver had too much to drink. And he got the guy to stop the car, and he got out of the vehicle. And the guy talked him into getting back in the car. Oh, we're almost at your house. I'm fine. Don't worry. I'll be good. Roll the car. And they're all in the hospital. They were all in the hospital. Could have made a different choice. When confronted with the word of God, Satan doesn't stand a chance. A final word. Because we're weak and constantly being tempted, we need to take the time to prepare ourselves to come closer to our Father. So I invite you to a holy Lent. God gives us this season every year to slow down and talk to him in a more intimate way. He wants to know our hearts and have us express ourselves to him in order to be led by him. We're to strengthen ourselves against temptation. Just as Jesus was led to listen to the Father to have that opportunity for the next 36 days. This is the challenge. Prepare our Lord. Ourselves to make this Lent different than any of the others. Start each day. Don't go out spiritually naked. The Bible Five weeks left. Let's not blow it. And I pray this Lent will be more meaningful and wonderful than ever for all of us. Amen. Now, Martin Luther wrote a wonderful hymn about Christ and the enemy. And we're going to stand and sing it. A mighty fortress is our God. So, everybody up. <laughs>